We're now in our final series of You Asked. What you asked for it is a, is, a, is a series we've been doing where we asked you to give us questions. What do you want to hear about? So today we've got a panel to try to answer as many of these questions we haven't asked. In fact, tonight I'm going to be speaking in Ngarawaki at 5 o'clock. And I'm going to be talking about um, what does God say about marriage, parenting, and all those. So if you want to hear about that, come up to Ngarawaki at 5 o'clock. What does God say about marriage and parenting? Um, but I've got a special, uh, we've got a special panel. The, the panel that, that we've got sharing with us are, are those who have been leading, leading this series. So we had Grant Spicer, who spoke on the second week of January. Grant, would you come on up? And we had Andrew Fisnich, who uh, spoke last week. And you know what? We needed some wisdom, and you know, uh, we couldn't. And wisdom, and and, all, and as all good husbands know, wisdoms come from wives. So we, we had that PJ to come on up, Yalta's. Uh, the, the wisdom to Yalta, Yalta's, uh, <laughs> so here we go, we've got good balance now. Okay, I feel like I've, um, I'm talking about a movie, that there's a balance in the force. But anyway, let's get into it. Oh, I'm, I'm missing my uh, questions. What do I do with it? Oh, there it is. Fantastic. Well, so this is a series you asked about some questions that you have asked, and we're going to try to get through as many as we can. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something slightly different. I'm going to ask... First question is this, how do we hear from God, and how do we know it is God? Does God still perform miracles? So how do I hear from God, how do I know it is God, does God still perform miracles? I'm going to ask Grant, can you answer that question for us? He's, oh, a, he's a man of wisdom, so Grant yeah. is about 45 years of age, he looks really young, doesn't he? 45. Oh, sorry, I've got, got the age, minus, I've got to take a few years off. All yeah. right, let's move on. So... <laughs> How do I hear from God? I think for me, like, if I'm being honest, I've never heard the audible, booming voice of God, you know? Oh, you like, have, I, you know. Yeah, I've definitely heard, you know, my father, but not, you know, God in, in, in heaven. So um, I think for me, a lot of what I would call, like, you know, words from God comes from Scripture for me. Um, I think when I was, you know, when you think about university days or when you're reading nonfiction, true text, Whichever one that was, I'm only a teacher, don't worry. Um, like, when you're reading it, as you're reading it, it you, might, um, you might get a thought or something extra from it, you know, that you take away and you might then use it in some other context. And I think Scripture is very similar, you know. As you're reading it, based on where you are, based on your experiences, what you've gone through, you are revealed different things. Um, and so I think it's really important that you are aware of that. Um, I think another thing for me is also um, God places people around you to help you. And so I think um, I'm in, like I know myself, I've said the whole, I'm going to get away from everyone and just focus on God or just try and hear from God when actually God's placed people around yeah, me who can right. speak into me. It's just making sure the whole, how do you know it's from God? You've always got to bring it back to scripture and make sure it lines up with the word of God. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Andrew, so tell us about, last week you spoke about miracles in your, in your journey um, that you're in your, as a missionary, miracles. What, what other kind of miracles have you seen? Does God still answer? Does God still perform miracles? That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> does he? He definitely does. Yeah, he definitely does. God is a God of miracles. God, I mean, God, anybody that's born again has received a miracle, right? We've been yeah. remade. We've come into a relationship with God. That's that's like the base level miracle that we've all received. Yeah. But there's all kinds of miracles of provision where we've, 
you know, ask God to provide uh, money or people or resources of some kind that no one else has known about and that he's just, you know, something just shows up. Yeah. Like, how did that person know? How did that get there? Um, healings, I've talked a bit about that last week and the month before. But, um, yeah, I, I would say one of the keys to just believing God for miracles is pressing in and not giving up. And don't let your past experience be the judge of mm. does God perform miracles or not. Let Scripture be the judge. And we see in the book of Acts... You know, the, the miracles that the apostles, but not just the apostles, other disciples performed, a lot of them mirrored exactly what Jesus did. And there was a purpose in that to show, um, because Jesus himself said, these works that I do, specifically referring to the miracles, um, anyone who believes in me can do, and even, even greater things than these yeah. will he see. Come on. So press in for greater than what Jesus did even. That's scriptural to say that. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm actually going to go straight to the second question. I'm going to ask PJ. Okay. And we're going to be talking about something that you all want to hear about because you've asked this question. Genders. <laughs> How many are there? I know you're all wondering. And is gender dysphoria a mental illness? So I would like to ask PJ if you can answer this question for us. Well, that's an interesting question. For most <laughs> of us, uh, we believe there are two genders, uh, male and female, as God created us. And a whole lot of um, society still believes that too. But there is a sphere in society that believes that that has a conflict with what they are thinking. And so now, by Facebook, I can, you can assign yourself to 45 different genders. Uh, and even in the UK, 57. So I'm not going to name them or explain them. Uh, but... Obviously, there is a huge tension now uh, what people think who they are or what they are assigned by birth. Um, and that's where, obviously, um, gender disformity comes in. It used to be a rare thing. I mean, Yalta myself have been in the psychiatric world for qu quite some time, or maybe all her working life. Uh, and gender disformity would be a rare thing where people really find this conflict of, uh, with them, that their mind telling them that the body is lying. And they, they can't, that conflict is huge. But now, and that's why it wasn't a mental, mental illness, but now the World uh, Health Organization, I think last year has decided that it is not gonna be classified as a mental illness anymore. And I think uh, New, Ze New Zealand and other countries will sh come on board with that as well. And you think, well, why is that? Well, we see a huge onslaught of, in our culture where people uh, make up their own mind uh, who they are, and which is in conflict with their assigned gender at birth. Um, and even though my practice as a, as a counselor at, at school and otherwise, it's... It, it, is, it is here, all right? So people um, make up their mind. I think, you know, as a man thinks, so he is. That is a powerful scripture, uh, and that can really work against us, uh, and especially in the area of gender. 
So what do we do as a church or what do you do when you, I think, you know, you need to embrace people because we, none of us is perfect. None of us is without struggles or issues. We all got issues. Uh, and that might be an issue for uh, a person who believes that he is different. And that's where the word comes in of transgender. Maybe you heard a lot about that. Uh, but they will come in our church community. They will come into your world. And, and I hope that we find the grace to embrace them. And, uh, and on the journey with God, there is hope. And on the journey with God, there is healing. Um, so, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Thank you. PJ is a qualified counselor. She's, uh, um, so if you've got any counseling needs, go see PJ. Uh, and so thank you so much. Because, yeah, so just to be clear, there's two, two, two genders. And you don't need to be Christian to know that. Um, but it, it just shows this underlying uh, where, we, where we need to, how can we support and, and best embrace them. If you, need more, if you want more um, discussion about that, see PJ after this. So fantastic. Okay, I'm going to go straight to another. I'm going to jump jump some questions. I'm going to go straight to number four, and it's pornography. Yes. Oh, already there's shuffling in the seats and uh, <laughs> a bit uncomfortable. Pornography, is it an issue? How do we deal with it? And I found an interesting statistics on Christians who watch porn occasionally, and you might be really startled to hear this. It's basically this. It's, it's, a, it's a quite, a, a, uh, one of, it's quite a more, um, an up-to-date stat. stat. And it's 64, basically says that 64% of Christian men, 64% of Christian men of various ages uh, will watch pornography from occasion, uh, whether that's just come, they're just following an ad or something. And 15% of women, so, so it's, it's a man issue, but women are is beginning to increase. 15% of women are also involved in it. And now if you're between the ages of 18 and 30 and you're a man, Unfortunately, that stat goes even higher, 79%. Put your hand up if you're between 18 and 30. No, just kidding. Um, so it is an issue. So how do we deal with it? I'm going to ask Grant, since you're within 18 and 30 years of age. <laughs> Grant is a school teacher, by the way, so you've got a lot, you deal with a young, lot of young people in your profession. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the main reason why this is such an issue is because it's a very secret one. Like, it's, it's not one that's, that's in the public. It's still a sin just like any other sin, but I think the, the reason why it's so bad is because it's secret and you can do it in private without anyone watching and no one needs to know and you can put on a mask and still come to church, you know? Um, it's definitely an issue, though, because, like, I mean, I teach eight-year-olds, going on nine, and we've been finding kids watching porn at school, you know? Um, I'd say in high school, I'd be confident to say that every single child would be exposed to porn at some point during high school. Maybe not addicted to it, but at some point exposed to it. Um, I think you would be, um, oh, I think too many parents play the ignorant card where my kid was raised in, I was raised in church, and I got hooked on pornography and intermediate. Um, which was pretty young back then, now it's not young at all. Um, I think, yeah, too many parents play an ignorant card in that my kid was raised in church, so they'll be fine, you know, they're not exposed to that, but you can't control what your child sees at school by another kid who's been raised with different values and, and by different parents. And so, as, like, it's very important how you speak into your child, um, 
I think for me, though, um, overcoming it, um, I, I went through um, porn, so I was exposed to it in intermediate by another kid from another, you know, raised differently. My parents had no control over that, um, and all through high school. And the way I overcame it was um, through this, it's pretty much like a, like a change in mindset, you know? I think we've got too many young people who are trying to battle pornography and they're getting tired and they're, they're unable to do it and if they um, resist the enemy then he just comes back the next day and the next day and the next day and there's only so long that you can have the willpower to keep going, you know, before it just overcomes you and we've got people turning away from the faith just because they're not able to overcome. And like, I mean, I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago on the whole, you know, the, there's a process to the promise. And I was receiving all these promises in church, but then throughout the week, you're just feeling so down and you're losing battles. And some days you win, some days you don't. And um, I think for me, the big thing was um, checking how, how my soul is. How is my soul? So not looking at the battle I'm facing, because as Ants, you said in the previous service, we're, we're, we're actually called to flee from the enemy. Not try and battle, we're called to flee the enemy. Um, and so taking it a step back and actually checking how is my soul, making sure I'm still getting in scripture, even though I might be losing a battle, I'm still getting watered, I'm still planted. And what I found was that as you change your mindset, you're not actually focusing on the battle. So when it comes, you're like, nah, like you've got something greater that you're focusing on. We're, 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 we're called for this race of eternity, growing in a closer relationship to God, not to battle um, something. And so I found that just with that simple change of mindset, when the enemy came, you're actually able to flee and resist. And it's a lot easier because you're, you're focused on something different, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Can I add anything? Yes. Um, it is a huge issue in marriage. Uh, it can be. Some marriages are wrecked because of this, or broken, or so hurt. Um, so I think we just need to not be ignorant of it, that it can play a part in a marriage that is not working or not going well. Uh, from my experiences, more than 20 years as a pastor, I've come across it many times. And then one of the main issues uh, that comes to the light, because it doesn't easily come to light, is pornography. Um, I just encourage you, you know, if you're enticed in it and you are in marriage, just get help. Just get help. Don't fight it mm. on your own. Don't fight it together. Just get some help alongside you. Mm. And is, you know, it takes time to entice yourself in pornography when it becomes an addiction. It's also as as um, Grant says, there is a process, but there is a promise that God is able to work it out, and God is able to bring healing. Amen. And, that, and, that, and so just to give you three steps to help you in this area, if, 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 the matter if you're man or woman, um, it is an issue. Um, number one, the three steps to help you in this area or help someone in this area, um, well, actually, there should, okay, this is step zero, then of these four. But anyway, step zero is be honest. Got to be honest. There's power in being honest. If you're not honest, then you're going to lose the battle over and over again. But number one is confess to God. Confess to God because we serve a good, good God. And we, you know, many people, they go around feeling unworthy. Well, how, I, I, I can't be used. You know, we're doing really well for God. And then you get, when we feel confident, overconfidence, 
or when we're in a weak state, we can find ourselves in a place and, and um, we feel too guilty. So seek God. God will forgive you of your sin. Number two is, so confess to God, number one. Number two, confess to the right people. And that's getting help. Confess to the right people. James 5, 16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Okay, because you confess to God for forgiveness, confess to people to be healed because it's a wound. It's not a lust issue, it's a wound issue. It's a wound that's festering. And so get help. And number three is remove the triggers. You know, you know what it is that triggers you. You know, if, if it's like when you're at home, if you're gaming late at night or if you're on the computer late at night, remove those triggers. You know what it is. If it's your phone or whatever, put some, be smart, don't be stupid. You know what you need to do. Um, we know King David. He, what do we know about, what, what's, what is he famous for? Adultery. What was he doing? Walking on the roof. What's the woman having a bath? You know, and that's, that was his pornography. And, uh, and it led to a whole bunch of other things, led to adultery and to murder. Okay, so what's, what's a trigger to remove from, from King David? Don't go for walks at night on the roof. Get off the roof, David. So whatever the trigger is for you. Okay, so those three things to help you. Confess to God. Confess to the right people. Get help. Remove the triggers. Be honest. And um, it's actually a big topic, but we, we're going to move right along. Um, and I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to go, uh, there's so many, but I want to get one. Is I'm going to ask Andrew this question, being our theologian on the couch. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you this question. And this is a question we get asked many times, and it's this. The end times. Yes, I know you've been sitting and waiting for this question. The end times, rapture, tribulations, and the millennium kingdom. Okay. I don't know why you asked me, Ants, because, uh, you know, just talk about this topic, I could lose all my friends, <laughs> if, especially if I take away someone's antichrist or something like that, they might not like me anymore. You know? Can I just say, like, when it comes to this topic, the end times, most believers fall into two categories, like you're really into it, you're studying hard, and the other side is you don't even care about it, who cares about that stuff? There's two categories. I, I think it's healthy to be in the middle somewhere, and so it's good to study, but don't make it an idol. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, how far to go? I mean, for me, the whole doctrine of the end times, it doesn't fall into the core doctrine thing. You know, yeah. there's no other name given under heaven by which we shall be saved, Amen. and that's the name of Jesus. There's, there's no argument about that point. But about end times, you know, you will find that if you're brought up just in one church and one tradition, you'll be taught one thing. But actually, there'll be millions and millions of Christians that have a totally different view to you, and they love Jesus. And actually, when I discovered that, that really set me free, because the first thing that I heard, it was, it was in our church, but the, the pastor at the time was very wise, and he gave a disclaimer, and he said, this is not the doctrine of this church. <laughs> but it was the one that most people were exposed to. But I really struggled with it. It was all the... All the um, we call it, uh, now we label it a futuristic view, so it's saying things like the book of Revelation and a lot of other things um, are mostly unfulfilled and they're in, not just in um, the future of those who lived in the New Testament times, but in our future too. So, and, and you'll see this all the time, right? People reading the newspaper or you know the news on their phones and every time there's an earthquake somewhere, oh, is Jesus gonna come tomorrow and all this kind of thing. So I'm talking about the 1980s, right? And so that was like a high point of end times teaching. Yeah. Back then I was thinking E.T. and Star Wars, <laughs> right, but anyway. Yeah, I was an adult already, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, <laughs> um, for me personally, I got very, very good advice from uh, one person in this church when I was very new, and there were these books floating around. And this lady said to me, Andrew, you're new in the faith. My advice to you is read the Bible from cover to cover a couple of times and then read the books and see if the books line up with how you read the Bible. Not that I read the Bible perfectly, but not to take on somebody else's thoughts. And so um, Alison and I, we did that. And so when this end time teaching hit, we were like, wow, this is really weird. Like weird things that some other people didn't notice. Like the teaching was mainly from Revelation, but it was all about the Antichrist. And I read Revelation again just to check. Does anybody know how many times the Antichrist is mentioned in Revelation? Zero. And that's what I thought, because I'd read the Bible many times. <laughs> and I'm like, zero. In fact, it's only mentioned in one place, and that's First John, and he says, there are many antichrists that have already gone out from among us. And then in another place, this is in John's epistles, the spirit of antichrist that is active. And I'm like, well, that was then. So what's this, you know? So what you're saying is don't get your theology from movies. <laughs> yeah, okay. because that was the late great planet Earth and all of this stuff, you know? And so... I mean, if you're attached to your Antichrist, I don't want to take that away from you, necessarily. <laughs> well, I do. But just to say, be careful what you read and test it with Scripture. And you'll find that a lot of those beliefs that push everything to a millennium in the future and everything like that is they're missing out on now. Because people that are saying, oh, the kingdom is in the future, the millennium's in the future, they're saying, oh, we can't walk in those things now. We can't walk in the true new creation of the new covenant that God's given us. We can't walk in full freedom. We can't see miracles. We can't do all that because that's going to be in that amazing time. No, the amazing time happened when Jesus walked out of the grave and proved that he'd conquered sin and death and that we could be born again and be one with him and walk in his freedom and be the new creation that is showing the rest of the world these things. So I kind of rejected a lot of that thinking and I moved into this amillennial kind of view that is, no, this is, you know, the time now that this is the millennium from the first um, coming of Jesus to the final coming of Jesus, but then I started having problems with that too, because I was like, it's really clear in Acts 2 that the, Peter was saying, Peter and John, in their, their sermon at Pentecost, that the end times had already started then. So I'm like, it's the end times of what? And so a lot of us have read the King James Bible um, in our early times, and you've got, you know, Matthew 24 and the first couple of verses, and uh, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, and the disciples are like, when is all this going to happen, and what will be the sign of your coming, and the sign of the end of the age, but in the King James, it says the end of the world, and so there's all this end of the world thinking. Am I freaking people out now, you know? So... I was like, does the Bible actually talk about the end of the world? 
And then it's like, what about all the elements disappearing and all that kind of thing? And again, look at the scripture. Oh, the word for elements there is the same word used everywhere else in the New Testament for the elemental principles of the world and the governing thoughts. And I'm like, maybe there isn't. Oh, what about the heavens being wrapped up like a scroll? And the stars falling from the sky. Well, what about when you go back into the Old Testament and you see the prophecies about Edom being destroyed and Babylon being destroyed? All that language is used, and it's all to do with authority, the heavenly bodies. So when a nation or a city is destroyed, or when a new empire comes to replace the old one, that's the language. You know, the heavens are shaken and the stars fall from the sky and the sun loses its light. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really freeing. Because in that teaching that I'd heard before, what did it bring? Fear. So we had the youth group going to the elders and saying, Dad, why should we, you know, because one of them was the eldest son, he said, Dad, why should we go to university? Why should we train and do this? But thankfully, all of the promises, the predictions of Jesus' return before the year 2000 all failed. And so there's not so much of it now. There was a big one in 2012. The Y2K bug. Yeah, and all that. But anyway, Jesus is going to return. For me, it comes down to this. There's three things left. Jesus is going to physically return. There is going to be a final judgment and there is going to be the resurrection from the dead. And those are the unfulfilled things. The other things, and this is a big confusion in other areas of eschatology, is that when you read a lot of the verses about fire and destruction in the New Testament, it's actually talking about something that I didn't know till I studied it in Bible college, and that was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. 70 AD, exactly 40 years after Jesus ascended to heaven one generation and so that happens so not everything is about that but a lot of things you look at the parable of the landowner and everything and the the wicked servants and what's going to happen Jesus said oh the master will come and he will burn that city and you're like oh that actually happened so half of the end time stuff is not even talking about the end talking about that. Yeah, that's very Sorry, I got carried away I there. If, if you <laughs> Ask know anything about the end times, you kind of know what's, which side of the pendulum Andrew actually falls on, because yeah. uh, there's, there's four major, there's, there's like three major, and then there's, there's a fourth one that's becoming popular. You're actually hearing more about that as you're, as you're speaking. But the good news is, at the end, it's actually just the beginning. So anyway, uh, can I, can I just and what's add? really interesting is the millennium is only mentioned in one part in, in Revelation chapter 20. In the whole Bible, Revelation it was really interesting. It's either literal or not. So how you take it? Mm-hmm. Can I just add something about the rapture? Because that for some of you, maybe, but it's going out about the rapture. Uh, actually, the word rapture is not in the Bible. So it just right. put that to ease. Um, you know, in the 80s, the, the rapture was very much brought in our forefront because of the movies and the books about Left Behind series. Anybody can remember that? Uh, but actually the word rapture is not in the Bible. They only base it on one scripture, which is in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17. So it is a popular belief with some believers that we, for some reason, we only get caught up uh, to meet the Lord in the air uh, before Jesus' second coming on earth. So I thought, we just need to talk about it. If you believe in it, I'll, I'll, 
I'm not uh, attacking you, but I think we just need to say what Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you've got to be really careful because you can make theologies of things that weren't meant to be. Because the word rapture is Latin for caught up. So if you, if you read the Latin Bible, then you read the word rapture, but it's not actually, it was just caught up is what it means. Could I comment on the millennium you just mentioned oh, yes. before? It's, you said it's either literal or it's not literal. So I, I heard someone, because um, as Ants rightly said, it's only found in one passage of the Bible, and that's Revelation 20. There are others that try to read it into other parts of the Bible, but it's not there. But this guy said something interesting. He was looking at Revelation 20, and he said, oh, you believe the millennium's literal, right? Well, it's in this passage. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, or in some translations, it's the bottomless pit. And he said, okay, so is the key, is that a literal key? Is it made of steel or gold? Is it a spirit key? What about the abyss? Is it really bottomless? Is that possible? And holding in his hand a great chain. Now, was the chain, was it an iron link chain? Like, is it a literal chain or a figurative chain? And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil. Do, are there dragons? Was there really great serpents? And he bound him for a thousand years. So everybody's thinking, oh, all those other things are figurative language for something that we understand. But when it comes to the thousand years, it must be exactly literal thousand years. It's just a very long period of time. Mm. That's all. And we can get very controversial because many people, are, <laughs> you've got your, your point of view. But at the end of the day, uh, Jesus loves you. Okay, I just want to say that. Jesus loves you. Um, be like the Bereans who search the Scriptures daily to see what we'll see what's true. So what you hear from us, I want you to search the Scripture daily, okay? Have, Do it. Read for yourself. Read it for us. Revelation 20. Then read to, and uh, just understand that Revelation is apocrypha type of writing. It's, it's a style of writing that we don't use today. It's a heavenly perspective on an historical event with the outcome in mind. Anyway, that's even confusing in saying that. Um, so one last question, and then we're going to close because there's so many things. Um, I just want to ask this last question is, what happens when we die? Nice and easy. My experience is... Uh, You're still alive. <laughs> I mean, my, my understanding is that we, we go before the judgment seat of Christ, and it's one way or the other. Heaven or hell. That's, that's pretty much it. Oh, I'm so glad you're liberated now. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. So, yeah, I'll give, I'll give you that's some, my experience. I'll give, you, I'll give you scripture context of that, Hebrews 9, 27 to 20. It says this, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So Christ will sacrifice once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So, death is certain. The soul and the body will separate. You will face judgment. All people will be divided into two groups. The positive side, those who believe in Jesus now are forgiven of their sins now and are accepted by him then on judgment day. The negative side, those who reject Jesus now will be rejected by him on judgment day and the division is forever. Okay, got that? Great. Listen back online and uh, have a good listen. But the biggest thing here, what we want to say this is that is we've got to wrap this up. There's so much in there. The, the Bible is full of life. But you need to understand something that God loves you, that he sent his son, Jesus, 
to die on the cross. For all of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, which is why God stepped into his creation and the fullness of Jesus and on the cross, he's the only one who can go back into your past, the place of your greatest regret, and wipe the slate clean. And anybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So at the end of the day, it is your choice what you choose. Choose today whom you shall serve. It is your choice. Uh, but you know, Jesus, God loves you so much that he sent his only son into the, to the messy people of the world. Anybody messy in here? Yeah. To the messy people of the world and anyone who, uh, to die for you. And anybody who believes in, in Jesus will reign forever with them. So we've come to the end of this. If you've got any more questions, if you don't like any of our answers, um, that's okay. You know, read the Bible. You know, read it twice. So if, you, if you want to disagree with us, what, before you come and speak to us, read the Bible twice. <laughs> And then come back. No, just kidding. Just kidding. We'll love discuss more. But give a hand for our panel. Didn't do so well. <laughs>